0: Good morning and welcome to New Books Network, the African-American Studies category. Today I have with me the award-winning poet Patricia Spears-Jones, author of A Lucent Fire, New and Selected Poems. Hello and welcome, Patricia.
1: Hello, and welcome back to you. It's fun to hear your voice again.
0: <laughs> it absolutely is. It absolutely is. Well, of course, I'm going to ask you the great question. How does it feel to be an award-winning poet?
1: It feels very good. I am very grateful to poets and writers and the Jackson Poetry Prize people for selecting me. Uh, but really, it was totally out of the blue, and uh, and it was for my body of work, and uh, and for that it just makes uh, the last four decades of my life a whole look a whole lot better because I've been working really hard for a long time. So I'm glad to be an award-winning poet.
0: Four decades of work—that's a lot. That's a lot of um, work. Because oftentimes, I know for me, when I see the award-winning poets, I wonder what is it that they wrote? Because unlike a novelist who just does a book, you just said your body of work, four decades worth of work. So have you always been a great poet?
1: No, I've always been a poet. Uh, One doesn't start out great. One starts out like everything else as a journeyman or a journeywoman, I guess. Um, And you sort of build your skills and you expand your ideas and you... Uh, If you feel like you have the talent and the drive, you keep doing it no matter what. And that is uh, how I got to be a really, really, I think, a very strong poet. I think I'm one of the best of my generation.
0: Excellent, excellent. Are there responsibilities that come with this award? No. Really? They just just give you the money and you get to just keep writing?
1: Yeah. It's basically... It's an award that sort of says you, as a poet, should be known by lots more people uh, because your work is really good and uh, and and really is part of the dynamics of the conversation around uh, the culture. And uh, and by the way, here's some money so that you can take the time to do what you do. And uh, so it's given me. Um, a chance to pay off a whole lot of bills that needed to be paid and uh, and to be able to live fairly comfortably if I manage things right for another couple of years.
0: Well, congratulations again. Mm-hmm. And so how did Lucent Fire come about? Because it's a collection of poems.
1: Well, it, uh, about 10 years ago, um, uh, Alan... Excuse me, Alan Cornblum, uh, the late um, um, editor, publisher, and founder of Coffee House Press, had asked me to consider doing a collected poem. He so says you have got you know several books out now, and you know maybe you should start thinking about that. And I thought, really, I hadn't even thought about you know selected. But then, uh, and then he got very ill, and um, and so. Uh, and he kind of finished up some work on some other poets whose work that he had been really championing for a long time. And in the meanwhile, I had spoken with Dennis Maloney, uh, who's a wonderful poet and translator and uh, whom I had read with in Buffalo and who runs White Pine Press. And he said, well, if Alan doesn't, that doesn't work out with Coffeehouse, talk to me. And, uh, and so I went to talk to him and... Uh, and we talked about this, and I realized that there are um, there are a number of like my first book was uh, a, a sonnet sequence, and it's been out of print since 1983. <laughs> you know, so uh, so I got to be I was able to put all of those poems in uh, in this book because it is uh, new and selected. So the selected is a really good way for people to see the work over. Uh, time, and then the new work is what's you know been, I've been doing for the last say four or five years uh, up until the until the printing of the book. So uh, and so I had to like go through all of my work. It was pretty interesting, you know. And I I realized that there are things I write about over time. I mean, you know, love, romance, the streets, uh, you know, the issue of race, um, etc. Uh, and then there are ways in which I feel like I have grown better as a poet and smarter and tighter and and more focused and so I felt like that was that was really it was really it gives you great pause to see a whole lot of work on the floor as <laughs> you were like going through it going, should that poem go in there? Mm, yeah, why not you know and there are some things I had to you know I had interesting conversations with my Editor, because my last book, Painkiller, has a lot of fairly erotic poems in it, and my uh, my uh, and, and uh, Dennis was like, not didn't want to put them in, and I said, oh no 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 no, they have to go in, not all of them, but you know that's what that book was about. You can't not do that, and so it was like an interesting conversation around what is essential about each of the. Uh, the books that I wrote and what did I, uh, what I think really represented each of those volumes well. And I, I had, a, it, it took a year, it took a year. And, but I'm glad that I was given a year to really work on this and to come up with something. I feel incredibly proud of this book.
0: And, it, and you, and as you should, Painkiller. Huh. So let's give the audience a little taste of Painkiller. Uh, which is on page 97 um, Mm -hmm. of your book. So I can taste the metal, lose my desire for red meat, relax every muscle, relax emotion, relax the time of day. I can give you the time of day. When I talk about is how love eludes me. No, what I talk about is what wrong, what's wrong with me. No, what I talk about is what will happen to me. Fear. Is the secret. This is wonderful. That's a painkiller. Metal in the mouth. I I love the way you talk about losing red meat. And although you have this painkiller of fear, I mean, of course, I can say whatever I want about the poem (laughs) because that's usually how it's uh, what we can do. What I love about it is how stark. And wonderful it is in the words where a painkiller is something that relaxes every muscle. And usually we want that relaxing um, from because of some type of fear. And at the same time you talk about this fear, you have this wonderful blues that moves into the poetry, right? This blues work that moves in here from um, Mary Blige, Mary J. Blige.
1: Uh, But Painkiller is really interesting because it's one of those poems where I wrote it and it was so, it's so sharp. And it's so, uh, because the ending of it is really very, very bleak, actually. Um, And it says, uh, and a recognition that the murderer and the martyr, the adulterer and the healer can at any moment change positions, become the other. It simply depends on how much pain you need to kill. And um, when I wrote that, I was like shocked um, by my own um, boldness in that yeah. poem, and uh, and I almost threw it away <laughs> really? because it was so shocking. Yeah, and I and I I was I was reading it to my friend Peter Covino, and he said, "Girl," you know, to me, Peter,
0: was
1: like, "Girl, this guy's great." You know, and I went like, "Okay, Peter," you know. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, I think I needed to hear someone else tell me it was okay to be that bold. And, um, you know, because sometimes you, you're, you know, we all have those nagging voices in the back of our heads that say, yeah, maybe not. And, oh, that's really great. when it may not be. And so we, you know, and so this is one of the ones, I think anything that really sort of rocks your world as a writer is probably the thing you have to you have to finish. You have to do. You have to present, and see what happens. And that was one of. Them.
0: Wow, I like the way you said um, you thought about throwing it away. Because sometimes you know you write, or one who creates wants to keep everything. So it's so honest to say that um, sometimes you do have to throw it away. Sometimes someone does have to remind you: this is bold, this is stand. You know, this is good because you're right. Um, a recognition that the murderer and the martyr, the adulterer and the healer, can change positions. Right? It gives us that's a fear that we have that we can be as as, other, be as the other person as hard. Yeah.
1: Thank you. And yeah. We need to and, and and we need to understand that and be and realize that because to you know the last thing that anyone who seeks justice uh, can do is to assume that they cannot become the kind of person that they want to bring to justice. There have been any number of times when we have seen that happen. And if you don't kind of recognize that, it uh, you're not dealing with the fact, the fullness of humanity and part of the fullness of humanity is the horrors of it. And, uh, and I think that was what I was trying to, because to, it's one thing to talk about one's own personal sadness or, you know. Loss, but it's another to sort of think about who are you in the in the huge scheme of things, in the huge scheme of humanity, and um, we have to, you know, we're we have to kind of go into that macro sense of the world as well. So um, yeah, you know, and I I'm glad that Peter like gave me that look.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I did find. The Mary J. Blige Sings No One Will Do on page 137, right? From Swimming to oh, the America.
1: Way. Oh, yeah. That's my James Brown tribute. Yeah,
0: exactly. Oh. Yeah. How do you, I mean, I believe this is so amazing. You know, reading through the book, you, you're talking one minute like the painkiller, and then all of a sudden you're right into the music, right? How do you do that? How do you? Come the poetry how do you take your poetry muse for, um, from the music into the words into the thoughts
1: i don 't really kind of know I just do I mean I, at this point okay. i 've been writing for i 've been writing since I was twelve years old in one way or another, so at this point, I just do uh, but one of the things that really struck me and the reason why I wrote this poem. One of two things. One was when James Brown died, uh, that was pretty amazing. But they brought him to the Apollo, the Apollo, right? Because he had been there for like a thousand times. And I live in New York City. And one of the things about New York is that you never see black people act like black people. I know that sounds strange, but really, people just don't act like black people. They act like people in New York City. Uh, they could be from the Caribbean they can be from Latin america they there are all kinds of black people here, but just regular ordinary up north Carolina, Arkansas, South Carolina, whatever black people you hardly ever see them do anything. Well, that would change up fast when Mr. Brown was put on that slab in um in the Apollo. Thousands of people showed up, and then they went outside on 125th Street and danced and party. Wow! It was unbelievable. I mean, the people just—they just let loose, you know. And say it loud: "I'm black and I'm proud." And so, um, and I also remember that (laughs) one of James Brown's wives uh, tried to get. Um, a number of um uh, uh a car um what is the thing? Um oh if you have a car and they, they, they oh tickets. Uh you know, try to get these tickets removed because she said her husband was the ambassador of Seoul. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> sorry. That right. is good. So, the
1: ambassador yeah. of soul. <laughs> mm, I've been waiting to use that. For years. And so, you know, and so like, all this stuff is stored in your mind. And you go like, okay, James Brown. and But then what really crystallized it was the picture. Because they had a whole thing that said, no photographs, no photographs. And, of course, the New York Post, uh, which is a tabloid newspaper, sent a photographer in there. He took a picture, and there's James Brown's wax face on the cover of New York Post. And I just it was it I just went from there, um, but I got a chance to talk about what why Brown was so important, um, what uh, what it means to Black people to have somebody like him as a cultural hero, that um, and that there are ways in which we are often. Um, the things that we do that we love the most are often depicted as if they are stereotypes, but they're not. And and so uh, so I got to play around with all of those things, um, and and but also just think of of Brown as as a, a winged messenger from the gods. You know, at the end, that's what he is in my poem. In
0: your- <laughs> yeah. yeah. So with that. How important is it, even for the poet, particularly you, because you do this so well, to have history, African-American history um, in your poetry?
1: Well, it's extremely important. I grew up in Arkansas. I'm, 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 I'm a southerner, uh, and southern black people, unless you know well, maybe the new ones, but you know, um, you know we you know, how else are we going to know about who we are and where are we, if we did not? in some way or another, um, document our own stuff. Um, you know, I had, you know, every, uh, I grew up in a, in a community where you did, we had Negro History Week as opposed to Black History Month. Um, uh, and we had to, you know, learn, um, you know, uh, poems by you know, uh, County Cullen and Langston Hughes and all these people, you know, to, you know, and make our little presentations You know, in front of uh, in front of the school, Um, and um, and we had to do that because, especially in Arkansas, the the capacity of the state to erase its black citizens is unreal. I mean, there are you know, uh, I grew up in the Delta, which meant which is a beautiful, probably one of the most beautiful, one of the most fertile. Places on the planet and one of the most violent um, and as um, some uh, friends of my sister uh, pointed out a few years ago uh, you know their their father had to cut down this is like in the early 50s cut down um, the body of uh, a black man who had been lynched um, you know so that he could at least get a proper burial um, you know, in a town that was like about 30 miles from where I grew up. I mean, that's the kind of stuff, and no one talks about that. No one talks about it. And so um, so history is extremely important. And, uh, and uh, because the other side of that, too, is that if you know how bad stuff has been, then you also can recognize when things do change. And there has been a great deal of change, not enough.
0: But there has been change. Three steps forward, two steps back. Yeah. Thank you. And as much as African-American history you have in here, and it's important that we see, there's also the famous poet, Neruda. Did I pronounce his name right? Pablo Neruda. Oh, yeah,
1: it was about three days.
0: Three days. So why Neruda? Why not? <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah,
1: I mean, really. I mean, he's sort of like that. He looms over all of of uh, you know um, sort of hemispheric writing. I mean, he was Chilean and uh, he did win the Nobel Prize, and he deserved to do so. Um, he's fascinating. I mean, his first major publication was twenty, 20 love poem, twenty one love poem, twenty love poems, and one of desperation. Um, uh which like every you know young poet you know especially the young male poet reads like ah! uh and but he also he was a communist and um, he was an ambassador he uh, went around the world he was exiled uh, which is why the movie el postino is uh one of the best because it's about his exile sort of uh and but the, he did things like he wrote odes to the watermelon, the odes to a tuna, you know, like these simple things. You know, odes were supposed to be to like big, large things, but and he, you know, um, but he he always had this this large vision of humanity, but it always sort of goes back to his Chilean roots, and so there's this real sense of of uh, coming out of of of, of what. Seems like a backwater, and then going and literally being taken over the whole world. I mean, I think that's kind of great. Um, and a lot of people have been in, con- you know, you know, conversation with him. I mean, there are tons of poets who write. Uh, to Neruda, but the poems that I wrote were I uh, call and which means answers in Spanish, and they are answers to uh, one of the last books that Neruda did, or at least that I know that was uh, translated. Is called "Preguntas," obviously questions, and they're great questions. And so I just decided I would answer a few, uh, and I did, <laughs> and uh, it was a joy to write those poems. It really was, yeah. And so if he's like somebody that everybody should. I mean, if he's not being taught right now, then I, I, it's too bad.
0: It's too bad, correct. I agree, agreed, agreed. Um, so it seems as though you like to talk back, you know to other poets because you also have Sylvia Plath, right? And I'm like, it's almost as though your muse you would read someone else and then and then talk back to them and talk back to the poet.
1: Is that well, I think a lot of people do? I mean, I think, I mean, I mean, illusions are like, you know, I mean, uh, everybody from, you know, Alan Ginsberg, you know, talking to Walt Whitman in a, in a supermarket in California to, um, you know, um, uh, oh, gosh, any you know, number. I mean, I just did a whole thing with, uh, for, there's going to be a big kind of celebration of John Ashbery's 90th birthday. And, um, and uh, so all these poets are writing poems. In Ashbury, um, and so there's going to be a huge bunch of those. I mean, so I don't think that's unusual. Uh, I think I think that um, to me, all all artists, all writers, uh, poets, musicians, dancers, uh, we're always in conversation with the people. Um, that were there before us. Um, sometimes we like what they had to say and we let them know. Uh, sometimes we don't like what they had to say and let them know. Um, um, because we are not, you know, um, you know, we're not, we don't do this by ourselves. You know, we don't. I didn't create the English language, good Lord. Uh, and I always remember something that Lorenzo Thomas, uh, who was one of my mentors, said that he always, um, uh, up until near the end of his life, he, he would always read a poem. He did a reading by somebody else, so that it wasn't just his voice out there. Uh, it was uh, he was part of this larger um, collective of, of of poets in the world, you know, and not just contemporary ones, not just the ones that we know, but people who have been long gone. So. Um, you know, so, you know, Sylvia Plath is fascinating because she's one of those people I read when I was in college. And this was back at the end of my senior year when I really didn't have anything else to do because I really finished off all my stuff. You know, I would go to the library every week and I would find a new book uh, to read. And I read Lawson E. because of that. And I read Anne Sexton because of that. And I look at art books because of that. And I found Sylvia Plath because of that. And uh, and then I found out that she had killed herself, and I went, "Oh dear." And then I found out that she killed herself on her birthday, which is really bizarre. And I went, "Oh dear, dear." And then um, a few years ago, somebody did a whole thing about you know poems about Sylvia Plath, and so I decided that I would try to think about what the Plath be like in these different guises, and, uh, you know, the last one being, you know, she's being called, you know, Oprah is calling her up, she said, come on my show and talk about how you survived your suicide attack, um, anyway, and uh, she says, what but uh, but it was it was fascinating to think about her, and to kind of, you know, she's just great poet, she's funny, she's creepy, she's scary um she's brilliant and she's such depressive and it was so sad um that she left so soon but uh but lord she left behind some amazing poems
0: my final question to you is what is poetry
1: oh i don't know i was just reading you know um i was reading Mira kaiser um, she, the life of the, of uh, poetry, and uh, she's actually very interesting. Um, this is written in the '40s. It was written right after or during, I think, World War II. And she talks about poems as uh, events. Um, and I'm trying to find the writing where she says this. Um, uh, because uh, she's talking about you know consciousness and uh, the rejection of poetry and all this other stuff, but I think what she really is trying to say is that um, when we make when we make a poem, we, we're, we're sort of merging images and sound and memory and ideas. Uh, they're all coming together in a certain uh, kind of way. Um, they have, uh, they're not prose, uh, although I, I love prose poems. But there really, there's something about the that coming together, the the form that they take. that's just different, and depending on, you know, the culture that you are you know, making these poems in, they could be mnemonic, you know, so that you remember every other line, like from Arabic poetry or Spanish poetry. It could be free verse because that's something that Americans do fairly well. Um, but they all have a lot to do with bringing those images, those sounds that line together, um, in a way that nobody else can do. So you will never, uh, You'll never mistake uh, a Yusuf Kumanyaka poem for a uh, uh, David Wallace Foster or David Foster Wallace novel. It just won't happen. You know, the line is different. The, literally, the line is different. And I think that, is, that, that to me, is what really is, uh, is what works.
0: Before we say goodbye, is there anything you'd like to add that I didn't ask? Um, One thing that you'd like to share about poetry?
1: Well, I think people need to not be afraid of poetry. Mm -hmm. And I think people need to not also not think of it as lightweight, because it is not. It is something that is extremely important. People have been making poems since the first uh, tribes people came back from the hunt and were singing about it. Um, And so... We need to kind of honor that uh, capacity, Uh, and and also people need to read, uh, and they need to buy people's books. If you want the poets that you care about to survive in this society, you need to buy their books. You buy mine, buy somebody else's, but you know, I don't care how you do it. Write a check. Send do square, whatever it is, PayPal. But you know, um, really and truly read it, share it, um, and don't be afraid of it.
0: Don't be afraid of it. Thank you so much. I love that. Don't be afraid of poetry. Read it. Excellent. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. This was fabulous.
1: Oh, you are more than welcome. This was a wonderful, uh, I'm glad we were able to do this.